welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Welcome to those of you guys who are online joining us this morning. Uh, maybe the, the most asked question and least answered question is, why God? Why, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much sorrow? Or maybe even just simply, why, why do bad things happen in this world? In fact, that that question or the fact that there's this pain and sorrow and suffering in our world has been used by the world to disprove God, to say that if, if if there is a God, then there shouldn't be suffering. That, that if God is good, then we shouldn't have all this evil and sorrow in the world. But the fact that, that God doesn't show up, the fact that God doesn't prevent it, is then therefore evidence and proof that there is no God and to deny God. But the reality is, I think, that the pain and the sorrow that we see is actually evidence that God exists. And, and I say that because our Father's word tells us that the reason why we have all the sorrow, the reason why we have all this pain and all these problems in our world, and and the responsibility of that doesn't actually rest with God. We want to blame God for it because he hasn't stepped in to prevent it or he hasn't stepped in to change it and save us from it, but the reality is the pain and the sorrow that you and I are facing is really a direct result of what happened in the garden. It's a direct result of of his creation, mankind, and the choices that, that Adam and Eve made there. And, and that's why I love the Bible so much. Because there's, there's no other book that has ever been written or ever will be written that adequately describes and adequately details the human condition, the human story. And so I'm really excited about this morning because now we're going to get to really get into the heart of, of Genesis chapter three, which I think might be the most important chapter in all the Bible, just because of what it contains. It, it contains all of the problems, all of the, the downfall, all of the struggles of mankind, but also disco- we discover and it details God's answer and God's solution to that. But before we get into the solution, we need to understand the problem. See, I, I'm a big believer, and maybe it's just the engineer in me, I gotta move this, because I can't see Megan, it's driving me crazy. <laughs> I just see her forehead, and it's just weird to me, so it has nothing to do with you guys, it's just for my sake, my benefit, so thank you. But I'm a big believer, and maybe again, it's just the engineer in me, that we have to understand the problem. That when you don't understand the problem, then the solution doesn't make a whole lot of sense. For example, take your car into the mechanic for an oil change, and then he says to you, I'll release it after you pay me $1,000 you're probably gonna be a little upset. You're probably gonna call the police. Or maybe if you want some vigilante justice, you call Barry, who's no longer the police, right? And so you, you might be upset about that, but if he explains to you, actually, here's the problem, that, that your brakes are so worn and the exhaust is, is, is worn through, and if you drive it anymore, the car's gonna catch on fire and the wheels are gonna fall off. But if you let me fix it, for $1,000, you can get it back. But until then, this car can't go on the road. 
Well, now that you understand the problem, then the solution of you know, the $1,000 worth of repairs makes sense. It starts to add up. And so that's what we, we need to understand. We need to understand the problem before we can understand the solution. You have to understand the question before you can understand the answer. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm excited about what you're going to do this morning. I'm excited because I believe that you have something you want to share with each and every one of us. I'm, I'm, I'm praying, Jesus, that you would speak through me and help us to understand our struggles. Help us understand what we're up against so that we can understand how you want to be our savior. Because we know the answer is you. We just sometimes haven't understood how you're the answer or what you're the answer to. And so may your Holy Spirit speak through me. But more importantly, may your Holy Spirit take your word, your truth, your life, and make it real to us so that we can walk in victory, walk in freedom with you. So I pray this in your name. Amen. So in, we're going to start, actually, before we get into chapter 3, I want to start in chapter 2. Because in Genesis chapter 2, after God has created the very first man, he places him in this garden. It's called the Garden of Eden, and Eden literally translates to paradise. So he's, he's placed them in this, this garden paradise, this place of perfection. And, and in there, he, he says there's all kinds of fruit trees, lots of fruit trees. And remember, when we were going through Genesis 1, we saw that the fruit trees were meant to be the main sustenance, the main food to keep man alive. And so he's got all this food, a plenty, to look after him. And it's all there, and, and they're to eat from it. And then he says, and there are two trees in particular in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden. One's called the tree of, anyone know? Life. And the other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice it's not the tree of good and the tree of evil. It's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he gives them a simple command. So in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. So notice the first part of the command is eat. It, it's, not a, it's not a prohibition only. It's a command to do something. Go and eat. Eat freely. Eat as much fruit as you want to eat. Whatever you want, go for it. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. All right. First question we got to ask is, why did God make this tree in the first place? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that have solved a lot of problems? <laughs> All right, Caleb, go for it. He had a plan, that's true. He had a very big, big plan in all that. You see, his plan in creating that tree was to reveal something to us, which is that love requires a choice. Think about it. When I, when I propose to my wife, Joy, if I put a gun to her head and say, marry me or I'm going to shoot you, <laughs> does she really have a choice? I mean, it all worked out in the end. We're happy. <laughs> She grew up in Columbia. Maybe that's just sort of how they do things down there, right? Never considered that. Don't judge. She needs to have the freedom to say no for her yes to mean anything. And you see, that's why God put these two trees there. See, sometimes we look at them and like, you know, God, if you didn't make the tree in the first place, that would have solved a lot of problems. And we kind of look at it that, you know, even as a parent, as a parent, you don't, you don't stick knives around the house and say to the kids, now listen, if you play with those knives, you'll die, so don't do it. You, you just put the knives away. 
But his plan in there was to give man a choice. And that's what these two trees really were all about. A choice between choosing life in God, a tree of life, choosing to be dependent upon God, to trust God, or to choose life on your own terms, to choose independence, to choose finding life on your own terms, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the option that he was presenting to us. And that's the choice that they were going to choose. Now, the other thing I want you to see here is he gave a warning of death. Now, that death, that warning of death, is it a consequence or is it a, uh, a, a punishment? It's a consequence. Good. Now, what's the difference between a consequence and a punishment? Well, a consequence is inherent to the act. So, for example, if Greg were to get up here and run headfirst into this wall, his head's going to hurt. Now, you guys don't look like you believe me. So I'm sorry, Greg. We're going to have to demonstrate this one. <laughs> now, that's a consequence. It's inherent to the act. Whereas a punishment might be connected to the act, but it is nonetheless a separate act altogether. Meaning that, that now Greg runs into the wall, and now we're going to do something to Greg because his hard head, I mean, his big head, his, his head leaves a dent in the wall. And so we might punish him with a fine or lashes or, you know, that sort of thing. A flogging or two, you know, that sort of thing. That's a punishment. It's a separate act. So here's what's interesting. God's not saying to Adam and Eve, listen, if you guys betray me, if you eat of that tree that I say no to, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to get you. That would be a punishment. What he's warning them, he's saying, listen, guys, if you go eat of that tree, there's only one outcome of that. And that outcome is death. Because the reality is there's only one source of life in all of the universe, and that's God himself. We read about that in John chapter 5, where it says that God has life in himself. It's one of the unique attributes of God, that he is his own self-containing source of life, where the rest of creation doesn't have that. Meaning if you want to find life, you have to go to God. But if you go anywhere other than God, will you find life? You'll only find death. And so that's what he was warning Adam and Eve. That's what he was trying to say to them. Now, before we get into the actual fall, though, into the, the actual sin that Adam and Eve commit, I want, I want to point out something that God lets us know at the very end of chapter 2. We don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in, in this paradise before they sinned. Uh, there's no idea. It could have been weeks. It could have been months. But I think it was long enough they developed a bit of a rhythm and routine to life. But it's interesting, at the end of chapter 2, right after he, 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 uh, God details Adam and Eve, the creation of Eve, and how God fashioned Eve out of a rib from Adam, this beautiful creation, brings Eve to Adam, and he says, wow, what a beautiful creation. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is the one like me. This is the one that I receive. This is the one that was suitably created for me. Right after that, almost like a, a throwaway line, because it doesn't really fit the flow of the passage. But right after that, God makes a statement in Genesis 2.25, and it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. That's this, this picture of creation. You know, I, I can't even imagine that. I don't have a reference point for what that must be like. To have no shame. To be completely unashamed. 
And that's where they were. Well, let's, let's define shame. Let's understand shame. So here's the definition we're going to use this morning. Shame is the result from the belief that there is something deep and fundamentally wrong with who I am. Something, something that actually excludes me and prevents me from being loved and accepted. Something that would actually cause me to be rejected by others. And it's the belief that I am flawed, inadequate, and undeserving of something good. There's something uniquely wrong with me. You see, shame, shame is different than guilt. We sometimes confuse the two. Guilt, guilt is I did something wrong. Guilt is I made a mistake. I, I did something bad. I screwed up. It's about your behavior. It's about what you've done. But, but shame is so much deeper. It's such a deeper monster because it attacks your very personhood. And while you may change your behavior, you cannot change who you are. And so shame attacks your identity and it says there's something fundamentally wrong with who you are. It's not that you did something bad. You are bad. It's not that you made a mistake. You are a mistake. You are no good. That's the message of shame. And we see this in our own lives in, in little degrees whenever you experience embarrassment. Embarrassment is a, a small degree of shame. But really what's happening is these, these voices in our head, these whispers in our mind that is causing us to want to retreat, wanting us to hide in a hole or to lash out in anger as a way to, to overcome this shame. And it's permeated all of humanity as we're going to see but for Adam and Eve in that garden, they were, they were naked and unashamed, meaning they, they had no reason to hide. They could be completely vulnerable because they knew that they were okay. And, and they knew they were okay because God was their mirror. What I mean by that is, is they were made in the image of God, correct? And so when, they, when they're looking at God, they're seeing a reflection of themselves, or vice versa, maybe. That's not to say that, that Adam and Eve were God. Just like when I look in the mirror, I don't see me. I just see a reflection of me. But what they could do is, they, if they ever had the question, am I okay? They just need to look at God and say, well, God, if you're okay, then I must be okay. God, if, if you're loved, then I'm loved. If you have value, then I've got value. And so in the beginning, God was their mirror. God was the reason why they knew that they were okay and they were fine. And so they had no reason to hide anything. No reason to bluff. No reason to pretend. No reason to hide or be ashamed of anything. And they could just be themselves. What a beautiful picture that is. But again, I got no reference point for that because I've never known a moment like that, to that degree. Every moment that I've experienced has always had a little bit of shame whispering in my mind, sometimes a lot of shame jumping all over me. And it all comes because of this chapter three. So let's, let's read chapter three now together, the first few verses. And because we're going to see again now the serpent. We saw the serpent last week. Isn't, it wasn't a snake, I don't believe. I believe it was Satan himself as Lucifer, this, this angel of light shows up in the garden, the serpent. And remember, we saw he's, he's launching his rebellion, wanting to be God. He's going to now destroy Adam and Eve and take from them this glory that God had given to them. Now, why he goes after the woman first? I have no idea. It'd be mere speculation on our part. And it doesn't really change the key parts of the story. So we're not going to worry about that question. But beginning in verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So notice what he's doing at the beginning. He's beginning to question God. And his question God's word, question God's integrity, question his heart. And that's exactly what we see today in with our enemy, is that he is he's questioning, uh, first he's questioning what, what has God said? We see that with people questioning the Bible. Is the Bible actually the word of God? Can we actually trust the Bible? Well, it hasn't that, you know, God inspired these men, but these men wrote some things, and maybe they kind of lost things in translation. And so, you know, we can pick and choose which are the verses we want. Has God really said that in the Bible? And so he's, to this day, he's playing the, the, the same playbook. He's trying to undermine what has God really said. But he attacks now the, the integrity of God, that, that God wants to hold something out from you. He wants to prevent you from experiencing something. So we see now Eve's response to that. And he, he, she says to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Is he, is he playing that line on you? Oh, can't believe you fell for it. In fact, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, what, what he's doing here is he's, as we saw last week in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, he's, he's deceiving Adam and Eve, particularly Eve here, from the simplicity that is Jesus. Getting, getting her eyes off of God, getting her eyes off of Jesus and God as a source of life onto now themselves and saying, God's holding out that there's something here for you if you're willing to just take a chance. There's something you can do to be better. There's something you can do that you're missing that God won't give you and you need to figure it out on your own. And so that's what she does. So we read in verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So she's looking at it, and she goes, well, it's, it's, it's good for food. God did say eat from the fruit trees, and that's, that looks juicy. That looks wonderful. That, that looks nourishing. And it's so pretty. It's so beautiful. It's a delight to the eyes. I, I, I bet you'll be good. And you know what? Who doesn't want to be wise? Who doesn't want to know good from evil? See, I, I want to know what's good so I can make good choices, and I want to know what's evil so I can avoid those evil choices. Notice, notice with Eve, she's not thinking there, I'm, I'm going to rebel against God. I'm going to reject God. She didn't see it that way. She saw it as something good. And that's the deception she was under. That there's something good she can do apart from Jesus. But notice that Adam wasn't off in the woods somewhere. It says that Eve gave some to Adam who was with her. Which means, where was Adam this whole time Eve was interacting with the serpent? It's right there. And, and many commentators speculate that the downfall of humanity began really with Adam's silence. What if Adam spoke up? What if Adam chased the serpent out of there? Then a different story. But he was right there with her. And what's interesting, Paul says, while, while Eve was deceived, Adam disobeyed. There's a difference there. 
And, and, and the difference there, I think, is that Eve thought what she was doing was good to be good and wonderful, but Adam made a conscious choice. And here's what I believe his conscious choice was all about, is when he saw Eve ate of that tree, he knew what happened to her. He, he knew God's warning. He knew what, what, that she was lost, that she was gone. And now, now he's got to make a choice. Do I choose God or do I choose Eve? Because they're no longer on the same side. Who do I want? And I believe what he did is he chose Eve over God. And that was the disobedience. He thought I would be happier with Eve than I would be with God. And we see that today. How many people, given the opportunity now of, of trusting and finding life in God or finding life in another person, we say, but I just want that person. When I'm counseling with people, they look at me and say, well, can I have both? You can, but here's your problem. You've got the order mixed up. So you want God to help you with your spouse or with your friend or with your family. And God is merely a means to an end now. And it's really the other way around. That it's, it's not about that person around you. It's about God. And so we're going to interact with each other in order that we get to experience God through one another. He's not the means to an end. He's the end himself. But what Adam chose in that moment, though, I believe, was he chose Eve over God. And we see the, the downfall of humanity now. So in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Who were they hiding from? Not from God. From one another. Initially, later on we're going to see they're going to hide from God, but initially they're hiding from each other. Now, think about it. Was it wrong for Adam and Eve to see each other naked? No, they're married. They were one. They were brought together. It's good that they see each other naked. It's good that they can enjoy that. They have nothing to hide. But now, for, for the first time in their entire existence, they experience shame. That's why I think it was so interesting. What God says about parents, there was no shame. All of that is lost in verse 7 of chapter 3. It's gone. Their eyes are open. And now they're looking at themselves, and they're thinking, am I okay? Am I all right? Because what they've lost in that moment is they've lost God as their mirror. They, they no longer can look to God and say, well, if God's okay, then I'm okay. Now it's, it's you're my mirror. Other people are my mirror. And what you think of me determines whether I'm okay or not. And, and that means I got to be okay for you and I got to measure up to you. And I, I don't know if I'm doing that all right. So he, Adam's looking at himself and he's thinking, I got all kinds of problems. I see all kinds of flaws. I don't think I'm all right. I don't think I'm safe. If, and if Eve ever knows this, if Eve ever finds this out about me, if you knew what I know about myself, you'd reject me. Ever had that thought? That's the voice of shame. And so he's thinking, I don't know if I'm man enough. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I'm powerful enough. I don't know if I have what it takes. And so I better hide. And he sews together these fig leaves to create what's, what some translations just say an apron, just to, to cover himself. And Eve's thinking the exact same thing. Am I pretty enough? Am I beautiful enough? Am I feminine enough? If, if he sees what I see, he'll want nothing to do with me. So I better hide too. 
And they sewed together these fig leaves to begin to hide. Because remember what God said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So we have to understand death here. Too often we think of death as that moment when your heart stops, your lungs stop, your brain stops. Some of you, that's already happened tonight, this morning. But we think of that as death, is when all that stops, and now you're ready to go into the ground. But the reality is, death is much bigger than that. Death is something you could experience long before you die, because death is merely the absence of life. And, and you can experience that physically. For example, if, if you don't get enough sleep, if you don't get enough rest, you begin to experience sleep deprivation which is a form of torture, by the way. And that's, that's an experience of death. And if it goes on long enough, you will physically die. The same with food. You don't eat enough. Your body begins to, to waste away. It begins to decay. You're experiencing death long before we actually pronounce death. Because rest and food or air or heat or, or shelter, all of that is life to the body. You take it away, you begin to experience death. But there's things that we need to experience life in our soul. Things like peace and hope and joy and love for other people and wisdom and discernment. That's life in our soul. And then there's things, life in our spirit, which is that knowledge that I'm loved and I'm accepted and I have worth and value and significance and I belong. That's life in our spirits. But what happened is the moment that Adam and Eve ate from that tree, they were now disconnected. They were now separated from God. That's what it says in Isaiah, right? That your sins have separated you from God. There's a disconnect now, this chasm, meaning that they can no longer connect, receive from God because they've pulled the plug. And they're off the grid. The one source of life in all of the universe and all creation is disconnected from them. And as God told them, the day, the moment you eat, you'll experience death. And we see it. It's why they hid. It's why they sewed together the loincloths. Because of the shame and the death that they're experiencing. No longer do they know they're loved. No longer do they know they're accepted. No longer do they know they're okay. No longer do they have peace and assurance and belonging. Now they're, they're naked and afraid. They're alone and filled with fear and shame and anxiety and despair. You see, that matters not just for Adam and Eve. It matters for you and I. See, Romans 5.12 puts it this way. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul's very specific here in the, in the Greek, in the language. He's not saying all will sin or all have sinned. I mean, he's not talking about the time where you tripped your sister and laughed at her, Caleb. Right? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about a future sin after the, after the fall. He's very specific. He's talking about that sin, that we all participated in that sin with Adam. The best way I could describe it is imagine Adam is a bus, and all of humanity is on the bus. And that bus drove over the cliff. And the guy in the third row back had nothing to do with it. But guess what? He's gone off the cliff as well. And all of humanity was in Adam. We were participating in that sin. And not only in that sin, but in the death that Adam experienced as well. 
And so as he says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, for since by man, by a man came death. This death came through that one man. And as in Adam, all die. We all experience this death. And so this death is, is what leads to that shame, that there's something wrong with me, that I'm not okay. You see, when, when they're looking at themselves, what they see is these, these very weak, very vulnerable, very inadequate, this exposed, worthless, disposable person who's so alone and insecure. That's the shame. That's, that's the lens. That's what they're seeing about themselves. And so what that, that shame and that vulnerability, what it begins to, to create within us now is, is incredible mistrust. Can I, can I be honest with Jim? Like if I tell Jim some of the things that I've done or, or some of the things that I haven't done, what will Jim think of me? I, I can't trust Jim. Because I, I don't think Jim will love me. I don't think Jim really would love me because how can he? I don't love me. And so I begin to mistrust Jim and, and push him away. Or maybe I've got some anger. Maybe, maybe I'm angry at certain people. I'm angry at Ryan because Ryan's not doing what I want him to do. And so I use anger now as a means to try to control Ryan or, or keep him at a safe distance even. Or maybe I'm jealous. I'm jealous of someone like Peter and how well he can play the guitar and I'm musically dumb. Or, or I'm jealous of what other people have. Maybe, maybe I can become jealous of, of other, other ministries and other, other church leaders and, wow, they got such a big falling. Why can't I have that? Why can't I preach like that? Why can't I speak like that? Why can't I look that way? Why can't I be tall like Barry? And so we begin jealous of all these people. Or we turn to maybe gluttony or self-hatred or maybe even self-harm. Maybe we begin to use other people as a violation of people just to, to feel better about myself. Maybe it turns into cruelty. And it's interesting that the level of cruelty within mankind is, is unmatched in all of God's creation. Like, sure enough, we have animals that are that are, are true predators and they will you know, devour their enemy, but they're doing that by instinct. With, with mankind, we actually know all the weak points in each person. We know the soft spots. We know how to hurt people. In fact, there are people who dedicate their whole lives to figuring out how to most efficiently cause the most damage in another person. It's a high level of cruelty. Do we start to see where this suffering and this sorrow in this world's coming from? It's because we're no longer connected to the source of life. And we're experiencing this death. We're desperately looking to find life now. You see, that's what happens now. And that's what the flesh is. When the Bible talks about the flesh. Sometimes it's talking about your physical flesh. The context will help you understand that. But often Paul's talking about the flesh as a way of living. And, and the flesh really is just the way that I go to find life on my own terms. The way I go to find love and acceptance or significance or belonging. Where I go to find peace and patience and hope and joy. 
or to feel safe and feel good about myself. So I know I fit in and I belong. And so we, we do it a number of ways. Number one is we perform. We work really, really hard to impress you. And so maybe I think if I, maybe if I could grow a beard like Brad does, then maybe Brad will like me more, right? And so I try to, I try, I can't do it. I, I don't know how, you, you got to teach me how to, how do you do that? I don't know, right? But um, it won't happen. I don't think I've got it in me, right? But, but maybe, maybe I perform in a way that, that is pleasing to Brad. And so then I, I bluff and I pretend. How many, how many times have you been there, especially you guys, and all of a sudden another guy starts talking about the cars? Oh, that one's got a 308. You're like, oh, yeah? Is that the rim size? I, I don't know what that, what, right? And we're, we're afraid to ask the question. We're afraid to be exposed. And so I, I bluff my way through it. I, I pretend. As one author calls it, we become a poser. Because I need, I need you to accept me. Or I put on the mask. The mask of what I think you want me to be. And so maybe now here at church, I put on the mask where, where I just say all the right Christianese words. Bless your brother. It's great to see you, Marty. Praise God. Isn't it wonderful what God's done? And, and we, we act in a certain way on Sunday. But then on Monday, what do we do? Well, now we're back in a different environment. I remember doing this on Sunday mornings. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? And saying all those right things. And then on Monday morning, being in a race car shop with a bunch of other guys where the, the challenge was who could tell the dirtiest joke or who could gross out the other person because you crossed the boundary and the line so much. And I, I played along because that's what caused me to fit in. But you see, what I was doing on Monday morning was the same thing I was doing on Sunday morning. I just replaced the mask depending on the group trying to fit in, trying to get their love, trying to get their acceptance, trying to get their approval to know I'm okay. That's how peer pressure works. If you want to be our friend, you got to listen to this music. If you want to be our friend, you got to dress this way. If you want to be our friend, you got to use these drugs. Or you, if you want to be my boyfriend or my girlfriend, you got to sleep with me. And so there's peer pressure because it's, a, it's such a draw to experience some love. And it feels so fulfilling, except it just lasts for a moment because it's not the real thing. It's like, it's like eating a Big Mac. In the moment, you feel full until 10 minutes later, and you're just not feeling so good anymore. <laughs> That's what the flesh is. It's offering you pseudo-life, something that looks like life, but doesn't actually result in it. And so after, after trying to perform and trying my best to, to get this little bit of life from everyone, now i got to protect myself. And so now i got to make sure I don't, I don't get hurt. I gotta make sure that I'm, I'm all right. So I, I put up some walls, I put up some boundaries, I hide some things. We see this in accountability groups. This is the failing of all accountability groups out there. Not that the, those groups are bad, but here's the failing with it, is that you don't have permission to fail. And so what happens is, is Norm shows up in the accountability group. He says, hi, my name's Norm. I haven't listened to country music for six weeks. <laughs> and they say, hi, Norm. You're doing really well, except all night long, guess what Norm was doing? Johnny Cash on repeat. <laughs> a ring of fire, right? And so, so he's given in to that temptation, but he's afraid because all the other guys in the group, they haven't struggled for six months. 
except they were all listening to country music as well, but no one's able to be themselves. No one's able to be honest. And so I got to protect myself. More posing, more bluffing, more masks, more, I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. Pushing everyone away, protecting myself so I don't get hurt. Or maybe I control other people. Maybe I control things around me so that things go out the way I want to so I don't get exposed. And so we perform and we protect. And then lastly, we numb. We seek comfort any way we can. This is sort of the the last straw. This is where I can't get love through my own efforts. I can't protect myself because I've been hurt in the past. I don't know what to do with this shame. I don't know what to do with this hurt. So I just got to numb. So we check out. We just chill out and watch Netflix. We just relax. We just eat. We have that extra help of ice cream, that extra piece of pie, just to feel good, to feel different. And when that doesn't work, then we get more desperate. And now we start going for that third or fourth extra drink. Or now maybe we start surfing the internet and watching things we shouldn't be watching. Or maybe we start chatting with people that, that I know I shouldn't be chatting with, but you know what? I, I just don't care anymore because I'm just tired of feeling the hurt and the pain. Do you understand? That's the death that God warned Adam and Eve from. That's what we see in this world. We see so much, so much death, so much hurt, so much pain. And that's why Jesus came to be our savior. See, remember I said about understanding the problem to understand the solution. I don't think we've understood the problem of mankind. Here's why I say that. Because think about the solution we offer people. Think about the gospel we offer people. The gospel I grew up with was come to Jesus to get your sins forgiven so you go to heaven one day. So if the answer is forgiveness so I can go to heaven one day, then what's the problem? Well, the problem is I've sinned and I'm going to hell. But go back to the warning God gave. God didn't say the day you eat of that tree, the day you eat of the no-no tree, that you will sin and you'll go to hell. That's not what he said. Nor did he say that I have come so that you might be forgiven so you can go to heaven one day. Now, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that God didn't forgive us. I'm not saying that we're, gonna experience, we're not going to experience heaven. No, that's true. But that's, that's down the list of priorities. That's not the big reason that God came to be our Savior. I, I believe forgiveness was important. Of first importance, Paul says, in terms of what it could allow God to do. But you see, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. Because what do dead people need more than anything? They need life. Think about it this way. Suppose there's a man whose whose body is riddled with cancerous nodes. And so they're going to go in for surgery. They've tried chemo. They've tried everything. The only thing left now is to go in under the knife, and they're going to remove each and every single cancerous node. So the surgery goes in, and halfway through the surgery, he flatlines and dies. Well, the doctor, he's a fighter, so he's going to finish the surgery because he's getting paid by the hour and so, or by the node. And so he removes every single cancerous node. And by the end, the dead guy's cancer-free. Isn't that wonderful? 
Should we celebrate this doctor, take him up for dinner, maybe have a parade down Main Street because the dead guy is now cancer-free? Thank you, doctor. No, why not? Because his problem is not cancer. The problem is he's dead. See, our problem was much more than our sins. It was much more than our failings. Those sins, those failings were a product of the death that we were experiencing. And so Jesus came that we have life and have it abundantly. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the New Testament, maybe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall be forgiven and go to heaven. It's not what it says. Whoever believes would have eternal life. And please understand, eternal life is not waiting for you in heaven. Eternal life is a person of Jesus Christ. It's, eternal life is something that you and I have and we possess right now. It's the life of God. And that's what he came to restore. That's what he's come to give us. You see, when you're struggling, you're not struggling with a sin. You're struggling with death and experiencing death. And we need to find not a way to get life. We need to discover how does Jesus want to be life to you in that moment? Whether you're struggling with the shame, whether you're struggling with, with an addiction to deal with that shame, an inadequacy, this jealousy, this fear, this insecurity, how can Jesus be the answer to that? Because that's what he's come to do. That's what he wants to give us. And so that's what we're going to discover next week is what, what is the answer? We already know the answer is Jesus, but what has he done? How has he made it possible that you and I can partake of this eternal life, not just when we die, but right now? Right now. Because that's what he wants to offer us. Let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. Because I think too often, again, for me growing up, eternal life was waiting for me when I die. I'd ask people, what, how would you describe eternal life? How would you define it? And they often say it's life after death, life in heaven. And they're missing out on what God's offering to them right now. So here's, here's an illustration. Suppose I want to take Joy out to dinner. Nice romantic date. And nothing, nothing screams romance like all-you-can-eat all buffet. Amen? <laughs> Guys, Amen. Adam gets it, right? So, so I'm going to take her out to the Mandarin, all-you-can-eat buffet, and, and we walk in, and, uh, and we sit down, and we just let them know all-you-can-eat, and they say, no problem, here's some water. There's the, the, the buffet tables, which I don't even know if they're open anymore, but for my illustration, they are, all right? And, uh, and so there's everything you want is there, and so we sit there, and for about two hours, we just enjoy the peace. We enjoy the quiet. And we just sit there. And then after about two hours, we look at each other and say, you know, I'm pretty hungry. And Joy says, yeah, I'm really hungry too. And I say, you know what? Let's pay the bill. Let's get out of here. And so we pay the bill to all-you-can-eat buffets. And we go leave the restaurant to go home to eat. What would you call us when we leave the restaurant and don't say hungry? What would you call us? Stupid. Stupid. Any other answers? Insane. Any other answers? Dumb, idiotic, foolish, right? That's what a lot of Christians are doing. See, we've entered the restaurant. That's Jesus Christ. You and I have entered into his eternal life. And the buffet is him. 
And instead of having you know, ribs and steak and chicken, and I'm sure there's some vegetables in there, instead of having all those things, we've got the, the life and the qualities of Jesus Christ. Everything you need for life and godliness. All you need to do is partake of his divine nature. It says in 2 Peter 1. So there's his peace. You need some peace? Just walk up to it. And I, and I love how Watchman Nee put it. He, he says, you don't need to pray for God's peace. He's given you Jesus, who is your peace. You've already got it. And, and you need some hope? And we need hope in this world? Well, then go to the buffet. All the hope you need. You need love for other people? People who don't think like you? People who are maybe opposing you? Maybe people who are against you? Do you need some healing? Do you need a sense of value and worth because someone did something to take it away from you? Do you need some acceptance because of the rejection you've experienced in this world? It's all there. Go and partake. It's already been paid for. It's waiting for you today. But for too many Christians, what we're doing is we're, we're doing our best, sitting at that table, sipping on the water, going, thinking when I go home, then I'll have my fill. And what do we call those dumb, those, sorry, those, those Christians? <laughs> They're missing out on the life that God's giving to us. And so what we want to discover is, is what has God done to make it possible? How did he pay the bill, so to speak? But how do I partake of that life? And how do I allow that life now, not just to satisfy inward, but to now flow outward to those around us? Because when, I, when I've seen those people, those people stand out in this world. There's an, you're attracted to those people because you find what you're looking for in them. Not those people, but Christ in them as the answer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust that you're going to take what you've shared this morning through me, and you're going to help us relate it to our own lives. Help, help it make sense to us so that we, we can see how we're struggling with death today. In what ways have we been listening to the flesh, thinking that this will be wise, this, is, this will be good, this will feed our soul, this will, this will satisfy that hurt and that pain? Where, where have we been eating of this wrong tree? Thinking it's good and avoiding the evil, or even just partaking the evil out of sheer desperation. And then show us how we could eat from you, the tree of life. How you can be the answer to all of our struggles and all of our hurts. And we can partake at your buffet. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. 
Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.